Judges in chapter number 16. And so we'll look in a little while here at Galatians for a few verses as well. Uh, but we're going to begin here in Judges chapter number 16. And we'll spend the majority of our time here this morning. Uh, we're going to begin here in verse number 4. Uh, if you could stand together as we find our place here. As we read our text this morning, we'll read down through verse number 21. Judges chapter 16. Uh, the story of Samson, and as he comes near the end of, uh, of his time as a judge of Israel and his time uh, on this earth as well. And so we'll look uh, here beginning in verse 4. And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and said unto her, Entice him, and see wherein his great strength lieth, and by what means we may prevail against him that we may bind him to afflict him, and we will give thee every one of us eleven hundred pieces of silver. And Delilah said unto Samson, Tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy strength lieth, and wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee. And Samson said unto her, If they bind me with seven green withs that were never dried, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven green withs, which had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now there were men lying in wait, abiding with her in the chamber. And she said unto them, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he brake toe as broken when it toucheth the fire, as so his strength was not known. And Delilah said unto Samson, Behold, thou hast mocked me, and told me lies. Now tell me, I pray thee, wherewith thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, If they bind me fast with new ropes that never were occupied, then shall I be weak and be as another man. And Delilah therefore took new ropes and bound him therewith, and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And there were liars in wait abiding in the chamber. And he brake them from off his arms like a thread. And Delilah said unto Samson, Hitherto hast thou mocked me and told me lies. Tell me wherewith thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, If thou weavest the seven locks of my head with the web. And she fastened it with the pen and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awaked out of his sleep, and he went away with the pen of the beam and with the web. And she said unto him, How canst thou say I love thee? When thine heart is not with me, thou hast mocked me these three times, and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. And it came to pass, when she pressed him daily with her words, and urged him, so that his soul was vexed unto death, that he told her all his heart, and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon mine head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. And if I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like other man, be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he hath showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head, and she began to afflict him. And his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. 
But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass and he did grind in the prison house. And I want to speak to you this morning on the thought, did you notice that he left? Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for these that have been faithful to come. And Lord, to gather together, to assemble, that are able. Lord, thank you for the earlier service and uh, working in our hearts during that time. And I pray that you'd work in our hearts this time as well. Lord, be with our folks that cannot get out and that are still, uh, Lord, uh, watching online. I pray that you'd bless them. Thank you for everyone's faithfulness and their, their willingness to continue to serve you and uh, to love you through this time. Lord, I pray that you would help us all now to turn our hearts and our attention to your word. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to uh, gain some things today that will help us to walk more like with you and to be more like our Savior now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we look at this, I think that most of us uh, understand and know the story of Samson. We uh, we, as I look around this morning, I don't, I don't think that there's anybody here uh, that wouldn't know the story and be able to recount it. We've heard it throughout our uh, lives and many of you have learned it from childhood and Sunday school classes or vacation Bible schools. And uh, certainly uh, we've heard many messages on Samson over our lifetimes and our years in church. And, uh, and Samson is not someone that is really that big a mystery to us. I think now, that there's a lot of things here that God shows us that gives us some insight into our current life and our spiritual walk with the Lord uh, in this day and age. And so uh, we're going to look at Samson and just kind of survey his life in a moment here. And, uh, you know, he is uh, someone who's known what it's like to walk with God. He's someone that's known what it's like to have God's power on his life. Uh, and in a lot of his life, especially in this latter part, he's had God's power on his life and God's blessing undeservedly so you know we would look at it and say how could uh, how could God still bless him how could God still empower him uh, how could he do the things that he's doing and break the the parts of the vows that he's taken uh, and then still God use him and bless him and the, the lesson there is simple it's it's really a wonderful thing that God is merciful to us and that God is very long-suffering with us and that in spite of our sin and in spite of our failure God is very patient with us and God continually works in and through us even at times in the midst of our own failure in our sin and you see that throughout the life of Samson uh, there does however come a point in time when God says enough is enough there comes a point in time when judgment's going to come there comes a point in time when God's mercy uh, is not going to run out, but it's going to uh, come to an end for me in that moment, in that circumstance. Uh, and we see that again in the life of Samson. It's important to note that Samson does not lose power from God and God does not leave him until he's broken all of the Nazarite vows. He has progressively broken the vows that he's made for God that have given him this great power and strength. But until the final vow is broken and he broke all of the major tenets of his vow, uh, until that final one is broken, then the power is gone. It's not that the hair uh, and that that was more important than the others. It just happened to be uh, the last one that he violated. Uh, it was the one that was left. And so, uh, again, we see God's working and God's mercy and God's long suffering toward him uh, in the midst of this. And so, 
Samson knew how to have God's power and what could be accomplished when he had God's power on his life. I want you to look back at chapter number 13 uh, and verse number 25. And we're going to just kind of uh, set the stage here a little bit with some of the things leading up to this time that he's with Delilah and look at how this makes application to our lives and the sin in our lives today. I think we have to be cautious in these times that we don't allow ourselves to drift from the Lord and to lose our passion for God, uh, which is easy to do when you can't assemble together. Uh, I'm grateful that we can watch online, but it's just not the same. It doesn't have the same impact on our lives as being here together and feeling the power and the Spirit of God moving our hearts as God's Word uh, is given. And so chapter 13 and verse 25, uh, the Bible says here uh, that the Spirit of the Lord uh, was began to move on him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eschatol. Now, uh, this is a time that's early in Samson's life. And matter of fact, it's probably pre-adulthood and maybe pre-adolescence, but he probably is uh, no more at best than a teenager at this point in life. Uh, Chapter 24 records his birth and we really don't see any of the things that are allocated allocated to uh, to his adult life that are mentioned at this point, but that at times he is experiencing the power of God. Uh, And so he is, in his life, uh, as he's growing, uh, learning to serve God. By the way, that's a great thing. And that's something that we ought to be all doing or having all done and teaching our children to do, uh, to know the Word of God, to walk with God, to have a love for God, to have a passion for God, to want to serve God uh, with our lives. And when we look at that, we see uh, that that is true, apparently, here of Samson's life. Now, uh, in chapter 14, uh, he is identified as uh, a judge and the 13th judge of Israel. And so he is someone who is in a power, in a position of authority uh, over the nation. We really don't see him exercising that like some of the others did, other than the fact that the judges always came up and did battle with the enemy uh, so that revival came and was sparked so that there was a return of the people to the Lord. Uh, and so, but it looks a little different in Samson's life. And so, uh, God is working in a miraculous way. In chapter 14 and verse number 6, we uh, see him as uh, he is going about his business and a lion comes on the scene and he kills this lion with his bare hands. And God gives him this endowment of strength. In verse number 6, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid or a young goat, and had nothing in his hands, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. Now there's a series of of behaviors in the nation of Israel in the book of Judges that we're familiar with. There's, uh, there's a, a time of uh, rest and peace and prosperity which leads to a time of malaise and letting down of the guard where sin creeps in and takes hold which comes to a time of God bringing judgment usually in the form of an, an, a nearby nation bringing oppression to them or putting them back into bondage and then the rising of a judge to defeat this enemy uh, and to bring revival which then in turn brings another period of rest or peace and this cycle repeats itself over and over in the book of Judges but you see a similar cycle uh, sort of forming in Samson's life personally uh, without uh, the revival part you just see him uh, on the slow decline 
into his sin. This slow decline in a separation from God. And he doesn't understand and notice where it's leading him. Uh, and so he uh, breaks a series of his vows here in that he kills this lion with his bare hands. But then he goes back to the carcass of the lion and he takes of the honey that bees have built in the carcass of this lion uh, and he partakes of it. So the touching of a dead thing, an unclean thing, is part of the breaking of that vow. Uh, but what he's doing here is he is going out. Hey, I've done this great thing. Now let me go associate with the enemy. And notice what he says in verse uh, 7. And he went down and talked with the woman and she pleased Samson well. And then in the following verses is the riddle, the riddle about the lion. And if you, uh, if you can solve my riddle, then I'll give you all 30 changes of garments. But if you can't solve my riddle, then you all have to give me 30 changes of garments. Uh, and so everyone had to give him a garment. And so what do they do? They get with this woman that he's with and they coerce her, the Philistines, uh, to sell him out. We'll pay you if you get him to tell you the answer to the riddle. And so she does. She gives in. She turns him. She betrays him. Uh, but rather than uh, being, uh, you know, furious uh, with himself for his sin and for letting his guard down, uh, he gets enraged and goes out and kills 30 Philistines and brings their garments. And instead of paying, he just goes and kills 30 men, takes their things and turns it over in payment for uh, his vow uh, and, is, and is angry and enraged at the situation. But notice where he is. He's not with God's people. You would think that as a judge of Israel that he would be, and as their spiritual leader at this point, uh, that he would be putting himself in a place where he enjoyed spending time with God's people, doing things in God's ways, worshiping God together. But that's not the case. He see, you see him in every instance associating with the enemy. You see him uh, just down and about and engaging uh, with, the, with the culture of the enemy. Uh, he longs for it. He's drawn to it. He wants to partake it. He uses it as a justification uh, to, to justify his own sin. Now in verse number 19 of chapter 14, the Bible says, Again he comes and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he went down to Ascalon and slew 30 men. So he brings this to be. Notice that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. He's already sinning. He's already touched the unclean lion. He's already uh, associating with the enemy. He's already spending time with, those, with the ungodly. Uh, but yet the power of God still comes upon him. Uh, and he is uh, betrayed by his enemy wife and then father-in-law. Uh, he marries this woman and then after all this happens, his father-in-law takes and gives her to marry her to someone else. And so... The world is not repaying him kindly. Sin is not repaying him uh, with blessing. Sin is repaying him harshly. But yet he's still gravitating to it. He's still drawn to it. Now, notice in chapter 15 in verse uh, number 14. And again, we see uh, Samson comes and he uh, is going to do battle with the Philistines. Uh, back up to verse 14. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and the cords that were upon his arm became as flax that was burnt with fire and his hands, his bands loosed from off his hands. So they come to where he is and they tell him if you'll send him out, then uh, 
uh, then we'll spare the city. And so Samson gets the men of Israel, tells them what to do. They send him out. He breaks the binding and then he takes the jawbone of a donkey and he kills a thousand men. One man against a thousand and he kills them all. And so God's power is on him. He's slain the enemies of God. Now understand that this is a picture of us slaying the sin in our life. We all have sin in our life. We all have things that overcome us. We all have things that we have to cope with, that we have to deal with in life. And either we slay it or it slays us. There's not really any middle ground there. It's just a matter of the, where we are in the process. If I do not slay the sin in my life, it's only a matter of time before that sin enslaves me, binds me, blinds me, and slays me. I have to slay the sin. I have to overcome that sin. And we see here, and, uh, and as he does battle in chapter 15 uh, with these men, that he goes to battle and he kills them. But I want you to notice his response. And verse 18, And he was sore athirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. Rather than rejoicing in the victory, he is complaining of his thirst. Rather than rejoicing in the great and mighty power of God, he goes and argues to God, you're going to let me die and then I'll fall into the hand of the enemy when he wants to go and be with the enemy anyway. Uh, notice in verse number, uh, or let me get ahead of myself here. Uh, when he moves on, he comes and uh, then and went Samson into Gaza in chapter 16 and verse 1 and saw there an harlot and went in unto her. And it was told of the Gazites, saying, Samson has come hither. And they compassed him in and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city and were quiet in the night, saying, In the morning when it is day we shall kill him. So then he goes out, he picks up the gate, takes it up on the hill, uh, and, and he, uh, again, does a great and mighty thing for God. But, again, he's with the enemy. He's drawn to sin. He's drawn to fulfilling uh, the appetites of his flesh, the desires of his flesh. And so, uh, he is pursuing everything but God, yet God's blessing is on him. Yet God's power is on him. But he can't, and we can't abide that way forever. Uh, and then we come to our text this morning where we see him now with Delilah. And he is mocking his sin. He is mocking his, their weakness and applauding his own strength. And he's taking for granted the power of God on his life. He's taking for granted the moving of God within his own spirit and within his own heart. And so she comes to him and she says, uh, tell me where your strength is. Now you stop and you think about what's going on here. This repeats itself here now several times. Uh, and there are men in the chamber. So how can, it's hard for me to imagine how a man like Samson would be unaware that there are other men in the chamber. It's, it's not like uh, they're in the whole house or in the whole uh, whatever kind of a structure he's in. This is a restricted room. And even if it was a large room, uh, it is the chamber. It's what they refer to as what we would call a bedroom. 
Uh, and so even if it was large, how could there be enough Philistines in that room with him and Delilah that he would be oblivious to the fact of their presence? Not only that, I, I, can, I can, sometimes I think I'm a light sleeper, but uh, my wife can poke me in the back of the head when I get to snoring too loud, and I have no recollection of that in the morning. So uh, maybe he was just a really heavy sleeper, but it's hard for me to imagine how they could weave his hair in a beam which I don't have a lot to relate to here, but, uh, but uh, and him not know that his hair was being woven. How could he be tied up? Take in, and I'm pretty confident that if I'm laying there asleep and I'm pretty sound asleep and my wife starts putting ropes underneath my body to wrap around me and tie me up, that I'm, it's going to wake me up. It's going to cause a stir. And if she started shaving my head, I'd, I'm pretty sure that I would feel the lightness of the weight coming off and it'd wake me up. But she's going through this process and he's, this is repeating itself over and over again. Samson isn't a fool. He's not oblivious. He just doesn't have any reverence or respect for his enemy. He, he thinks that he's got this under control. He believes that no matter what, God's got me. And to put it in our kind of our modern way of thinking here, we, we deal with these things that are at best dangerous to our spiritual life, and at worst, they're sinful. And we think, well, it's under the blood, so God's got me. I don't have to worry about that. God's got me covered. God forgave me for that already. Well, God forgave us, but God also expects us to use some common sense to avoid the enemy, to avoid dangerous situations, to avoid situations where our temptations will be evoked and uh, will be brought up. And that's Samson's problem. He has God's power in his life. He also has sin in his life, but he doesn't respect the sin enough to want to keep a distance from it. He just believes that God's intervened in every other time in my life and given me power when I've needed it. God's going to give me power when I need it now. But in reality, what I do as a Christian today when I do that is I'm tempting God. I'm putting God in a position where I'm looking, I'm saying, God, I know that this is sinful and I want to sin. I don't want to not have your power, but I want this sin. I want to indulge in this activity. I want to maintain this relationship. I want to do this thing. I want to partake of this, uh, of this uh, substance or this uh, food or whatever it is that is besetting me. Whatever, whatever tends to creep up in your life and mine and consume us, if we don't respect it, it will overpower us and overtake us. And the more that we play with it, the more God's patience and mercy runs out towards us. There comes a point in a time, if I continue to tempt God by the sin in my life, then God is going to say, if you want it, you got it. If you want this, I'll let you have it. If, if you think that this is so important that you just, and if you think that you can overcome this without me, let me show you that you can't. And here's Samson, not respecting his enemy, not respecting the dangerous situation that he's placed himself in by in, engaging in prolonged relationships with people in the world and the culture, not for the purpose 
of redeeming them. Listen, uh, I understand that as a church and as a Christian, we need to be engaging in relationships with friends and with neighbors and with co-workers so that we can help encourage them to Christ. So that we can lead them to the Lord. But outside of bringing them to Christ, I really don't have any basis for a relationship. So let me put it this way. If I'm going to, let's say Brother Joey's my neighbor. I'm going to pick on Brother Joey for a minute. If Brother Joey's my neighbor and he's a lost man, and I know that, and I'm going to begin to try to build a relationship and a friendship with him so that I can bring him to Christ, so that I can share with him the Savior. It may take months. It may take years. It may take decades. But I want to maintain the relationship so that Christ can be presented. But if he ever comes to the point where he just rejects what I'm saying, that pretty much terminates the basis of our relationship. As long as he's open, there's a basis for relationship. But the moment that he's closed to the Lord and makes that clear, then there's no longer a basis for relationship. So what Samson is doing here is he's going down to the enemy of God, to his own enemies, and he's saying, I would rather be with you than be with God's people. I would rather be with you and, and, and lay with harlots and uh, marry ungodly women and, uh, and uh, do all the things and attend all the parties and maintain all the relationships that are destructive to my walk with God than I had spend time with the people of God. And he continually puts himself in this situation. You go back and you reread it and you look at it. Every, at every instance, when God does something miraculous and mighty in Samson's life, immediately he goes to the Philistines. Immediately he goes down into Gaza. Immediately he indulges in his sin. And so he's indulging. And Delilah is taking him through this. And he so, has so little respect. He has so little fear of his sin. Taking control and dominating his life. That he just tells her whatever, fully expecting. And the passage was clear that he didn't worry about his hair being cut off. I'll just get up as at other times. I don't even believe that, he, that these things happened to him in his sleep to where he didn't know it. Uh, unless God just put him in a really deep sleep. I believe that he just did not believe that he wouldn't be able to overcome it. That God wasn't going to empower him in the moment. And there's a danger to living life in such a way to where I indulge in my sin or I flirt with my sin or I draw close to my sin no matter what it is. And we like to relate things as a big sin or a little sin or this sin's worse than that sin. Listen, the only difference between uh, your sin, my sin, a big sin, a little sin, the way we categorize it is how it affects an individual person. What may be uh, something that really is a struggle for one person may not tempt someone else at all. And what seems like this really massive thing uh, that, that has overcome somebody uh, because it looks like it's so destructive in their life, let me tell you, the gossiping tongue uh, and, the, uh, and the lying tongue uh, and the bitter spirit and the angry spirit are no less destructive to your life and to relationships uh, than to uh, lose control with substance abuse. They all destroy our relationship with God. They all steal God's power and blessing from our life. They all strip us of what God... So when I look at it and say, well, uh, you know, uh, this sin's just really not that big of a deal. It's just not that bad. That's what Samson's saying here. I don't respect that sin. I don't respect 
uh, this bitterness that I have uh, because I've got a handle on it. I don't respect this anger that I have. I don't respect this trouble that I have with this raging fire lodged within my mouth uh, called the tongue. I don't respect the, I'm not worried about that pastor. It's the big stuff. Think again, it's all big stuff when it takes control. And when it dominates, it's all big. And so here he is. Notice in verse number 16. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words. When sin presses us daily, the result is that we become vexed. Like Lot vexed his righteous soul from day to day by just simply living in Sodom. Engaging in the politics of the city. He was a man known at the gate. He was a leader. He was not actively, so far as what the Bible tells us, engaging uh, in the acts of sin that they were engaged in, but his mere presence and that proximity to it had so affected him that his righteous soul was vexed from day to day. So much so that when he sounded the warning that God gave him, his sons-in-law would not heed the warning because to them he seemed as one who mocked. You're preaching this at me now, but it's not what you've lived. Listen, our words ring hollow when our, life, our lives don't back up what we preach. And so his soul is vexed. Notice verse number 20. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke up out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. Notice this next statement. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. So here's the picture. Samson is going through what has become the normal rhythms of his life. Dangling sin, hobnobbing and carousing with the enemies of God, growing comfortable, taking God and God's power for granted, assuming that God was always going to be there to bail him out while he was breaking his vows one after the other until a point in time came when God said, Samson, I have been long-suffering with you. Samson, I have given you blessing and power when you didn't deserve it. Samson, I have loved you and I love you still, but my blessing and my presence are no longer with you. And Samson got up and didn't even know that God was gone. Now I understand he, he, the Holy Spirit indwells us when we're saved. He lives within us and he never leaves us or forsakes us and, and, and he's always there but he's not always there. He may always be present but he's not always engaged. He may always hear my prayer but he doesn't always respond to it. And when there's something between me and God when there's something in my life, and it doesn't matter whether it's great or whether it's small, then God will eventually remove himself from the equation and let me alone to cope with the effects of the sin in my life. And as my life unravels and my relationships fall apart and my marriage becomes strained and my children depend to depart from me and uh, my uh, work relationships begin to crumble and everything in my life drives me farther and deeper into the sin that I have escaped from, I'm oblivious to the fact that God has stepped back. Samson got so busy that he did not realize that God had left him. 
He's not the only Bible character that that's true of. But I'm thinking, how could, if a man like Samson could have God walk away and not realize it, do we not think that God could step away with us and us not realize it? God is long-suffering. Praise the Lord for that. He's merciful and praise the Lord for that. But there's a limit to what God will allow before judgment comes, before chastening comes, before He shows His love in a different form for the sake of restoring us and bringing us back to Him. I can only do so much in the power of my flesh. What's done that matters is done through the power of God. Samson lost sight of that and God withdrew his power. So what do we see here this morning? And I'm going to give these to you very quickly this morning. When God withdraws his power, number one, the first thing that happens, I cannot see. When God begins to withdraw power, I cannot see. Notice in verse number 21, and really the bulk of this is going to come from the principles of this 21st verse. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass. And he did grind in the prison house. So what's the picture here? Samson, who has now found himself without God, stands up. He cannot, he, he has not have the power to defend himself anymore. The Philistines take him and they immediately put out his eyes. He can't see. They bind him and they put him down in the mill house and they tie him to the pole that normally a donkey's put to. And all he's doing is walking around in circles, pushing a millstone and grinding their, grinding their grain to flour. And all the while the enemies of God are coming by and mocking who he was and mocking the God that he serves and mocking what he's supposed to have stood for all this time because of his sin. He cannot see. The effect of sin on our life is that it blinds us. Someone comes to you that loves you and says, hey, this sin is going to destroy you and you make excuses for it and are just like, oh no, that's not going to affect me. Listen, that's exactly what happens when sin enters the picture. It blinds us. When I am in sin, I'm usually oblivious to the fact that I'm headed down that road. Because it's blinding in its nature and its power. Notice 1 John chapter 2 and verse 11. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Unless ye think and retort, well, pastor, I don't hate my brethren or my brother, and that's talking about if you hate your brother, uh, then you're blinded. Notice verse 12, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Hating the brethren is just one sin, but the same principle is true of all of our sin. All of our sin blinds us. We're blinded by the darkness, the cloudiness that clouds our vision, it clouds our perception. And whenever I am in sin, I cannot see the truth. Number one, I really don't want to see the truth. Samson didn't want to see the truth, he wanted to see Delilah. He didn't want to see the truth, he wanted to go down to Gaza. He didn't want to see the truth. He wanted to, uh, to go uh, be down there where, uh, where the good time was being had in his mind. And when sin is in our lives, it blinds us from the ability, it robs from us the ability to see the truth. He's blinded by his own sin. And when that happens, that means that I cannot see my own sin. I become blind and oblivious not only to sin in general, but specifically to my own sin. 
The fault is always someone else's. The fault is always, the, the, the blame is always shifted. Uh, the cause and the reason is never my own. Samson even blamed God. You, you give me this great victory and then, uh, and then you leave me out here with no water and I'm going to die of thirst and be take, overtaken by the enemy anyway. And his attitude is not an attitude of gratefulness to God for his empowerment and blessing. It's one of demanding from God that which he believes God owes him. And he finds himself blinded to his sin. Sin blinds us from the truth. Sin blinds us not only from the truth, but it blinds us from God's blessing. Sin eventually diminishes and then fully removes the blessing of God in our life. I don't know about you, but I want and need God's blessing in my life. But I have to understand that I don't want to take God's blessing for granted. God does not owe me His blessing. God's blessing comes as a reward of, of obedience and an expression of God's love for His child. Sin blinds us from that blessing and sin blinds us from the danger. How many times uh, do, do you see uh, yourself or have someone come to you when you know you're on a dangerous trajectory and uh, they've reached out to you and tried to intervene maybe with an attitude or maybe with a, an activity or maybe with something that's consumed uh, and we look at that and we're just like no well I've got this under control I'll be okay or that was somebody else's fault you uh, you made me do this or you triggered this in me or you uh, you made me have this thoughts and you made me lash out or lose control of my anger and uh, and or you made me gossip or you made me uh, all of it just goes round and round and round you goes why because sin blinds us from the danger of sin we don't see it as a dangerous thing. We see it as something that we can maintain, that we can control. We see it as something that we can uh, keep power over, not realizing that ultimately it's going to have power over us. Because that's what sin does. Sin is an all-consuming force that will not be satisfied until there's nothing left. I, if I, when sin, when God withdraws His power, I cannot see. Secondly, when God withdraws His power, I can't stay. I cannot stay. Well, Pastor, where can I not stay? I can't stay in the presence of God. He may indwell me, but he's not engaged in my life. It's like a guest in your home that just goes and stays and locked up in the bedroom and they never come out and fellowship or engage uh, while they're there. They're physically there, but they're not involved in what's going on. And the Holy Spirit sometimes... I lock him in a room somewhere because I'd rather indulge in my sin than I had in fellowship with my God. And that's what Samson's done here. Now listen, I can't stay in fellowship with God when I'm in fellowship with sin. I can't stay in the presence of God when I'm in the presence of sin. I can't be in the presence of God when I'm in the presence of the world. And I cannot stay in the plan of God. Listen, God had a plan for his life and God has a plan for your life and God has a plan for my life. And if I would engage in God's plan for my life, it requires that I walk in fellowship with God, that I walk free from my sin, that I walk in the power of God and I cannot do that when I'm engaged in a life of sin. I cannot stay. Not only that, I lose my ability to see. I lose my ability to stay in fellowship. Thirdly, notice that he could not slay. You cannot slay. And the reality is this. Either I will slay my sin with the help of God or my sin will slay me. 
The battle may be long, the battle may be raged, there may be a lot of wounds and nicks along the way that kind of heal and come back. Uh, but at the end of the day, when, all th when everything is said and done, I am either going to rise up with the help of God because I cannot do it on my own, and I will conquer and slay the enemy that is my sin, or it'll slay me. There's no middle ground. Either it will be consumed or it will consume. I cannot slay. Why? Because sin is binding. Notice that when they take him and they put his eyes out, they put him immediately in fetters. His hands are bound. Try to fight with your hands tied. Try to engage and conquer the enemy when your hands are tied. When you're restrained, when you're restricted, when you can't uh, get a hold of it. And the reality is, is that sin is binding. And sin will bind you. It will bind your mind. It will bind your heart. It will bind uh, your ability to appreciate what God has given. And ultimately, Samson is a man who lives a life of entitlement in spiritual things and believes that God owes him rather than understanding that the relationship that he has with God is essential to God being able to use him and to give him victory in his life. He cannot slay because sin is binding and he could not just stand up and shake it off as at other times because sin is strong. Notice that the fetters that they put upon him are fetters of brass. They're not iron that can be beaten and broken uh, with a strike of something that's harder than they are. They are brass. They may bend, uh, but they're not going to break. They're shiny. They look pretty, but they're binding. When God withdraws his power, I cannot see. When God withdraws his power, I cannot stay. When God withdraws his power, I cannot slay. And lastly this morning, when, I, when I, God withdraws his power, I become a slave. Sin ultimately enslaves. Where's Samson? He's enslaved. He's bound. He's blind. He's grinding grain into flour while the world mocks him. Mocks what he once was. Mocks his God. Listen, let your marriage fall apart and see how that helps your testimony for the cause of Christ. Let substance abuse overtake you and see how that helps your testimony for the cause of Christ. Lose your temper at a family gathering and get enraged and see how that hinders your walk with God for the cause of Christ. Go out and uh, gossip up all that you know about everybody that you know uh, at the family gather and see how that impacts your testimony for the cause of Christ. Listen, sin is enslaving. Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 3. The Bible tells us that even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Listen, we were in bondage. Before I knew Jesus as my Savior, I was in bondage. And even after I was saved, before I grew in His grace and matured, uh, there were a lot of things in my life that bound me. And if we're not careful now, regardless of how long you've been saved and regardless of how many years you've invested in serving God and learning of Him, if sin is allowed to rear His ugly head, it will, in course of time, enslave you. Sin puts us in bondage again to the world. And that's not the worst part. Notice Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 9. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, 
How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? You've been enslaved. You've been set free. Why do you want to go back to slavery? Samson, you have power. You have blessing. But you keep running to Gaza. God's used you in a magnificent way, but you keep running to Gaza. You keep longing for the world. You keep longing for the relationships of these Philistine women. You keep longing to be with everybody but who you should want to be with in the people of God. When we become a slave, we're in bondage to this world and we, were, we have a desire to return to bondage, which we would say that makes no sense, Pastor, but yet it perfectly describes our actions when we repeatedly indulge in our sin, not respecting its power. Notice Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1 this morning. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Ah, there it is, Pastor, there's that liberty. See, I can go out and indulge in the world. I can go out and do this. I can go out and do whatever I want because I have liberty. That's not what this says. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. We have been set free from sin so that we can fulfill our responsibility to be a testimony for the gospel. We have not been set free so we can do what we want. We have been set free so that we can fulfill our God-given responsibility. Notice he says, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I have set you free. I have given you liberty. Be not entangled again. Stop going to Gaza. Stop going to Delilah. I mean, most men that I know, the first time that Delilah pulled that stunt, uh, I would have been out of there. Where's your strength? Well, just tie me up with these green vines and I won't have any. And when I woke up in the morning and the Philistines are there and I'm tied up with the green vines, I think I'd kind of put two and two together. Amen. I'd be through with that. But he loves Gaza more than he loves God. He loves ease. He loves the pleasure. He loves the enjoyment of being with what he thinks is exciting and what uh, and he just takes for granted that God is going to raise him up and overcome it all because he's blind because God left and he didn't sense it he didn't realize that he couldn't stay in fellowship with God while he was in fellowship with the world and there came a time when he could no longer slay the sin oh he had done it to that point isn't it an amazing thing? Sometimes we get deceived into thinking that way or we feel like, hey, I can overcome this. I've overcome it a thousand times. But a thousand and one, it finally gets the upper hand and brings me down. And we live life dangerously because we do not respect the power of sin in our life when God is removed from the equation and we become a slave. And we long for that slavery. We long for that destructive force in our life. 
May I say to you this morning that only Jesus can heal the blinded eyes? May I say to you this morning that only Jesus can restore the strength? That only Jesus can set us free? Notice in verse number 28 in Judges chapter 16. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Samson's cry here is a cry of God, forgive and restore. Come back into my life. Empower me again that I might do your work. And God blessed him. And God gave him the power. God didn't give him back his sight. But his time of service was cut short because of his sin. Praise God that God gave him another opportunity. Praise God that God drew nigh him. Praise God that God gave him power and strength again. But it was never the same. It wasn't God's will for his ministry to be short-circuited. It was Samson's desire to be enslaved. We as God's people need to realize that when there's a desire in me to spend more time with the things of this world and the people of God, that there might be some danger there. If my wife or my husband is coming to me on a regular basis and saying, be careful about this or be careful about that, my pride better get out of the way and listen. Because I need to realize that I'm blind. So, you know, it's, it's one thing if an enemy comes and tries to say, hey, you're doing this, this, and but when the people that love you and have every reason to help you succeed in life and your walk with God and are depending on you to succeed in your life and your walk with God come to you and sound a warning. How foolish to take for granted that God will be there when I am tempting God by my action. Don't shift the blame. Own the sin. Confess it. And forsake it and live in God's power and blessing. Well, Pastor, I've got these things that have crept into my life and they're getting stronger and they're stronger. Well, it's a good thing that you realize it because the sooner you realize it, the sooner you can start putting things in order. Slay it. Re engage with God and slay the sin and enjoy His blessing and move forward to the glory of His name. That's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for me. That's what God wants for us as a church. Not to be a people that are engulfed and, 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 and drained by sin, but a power that can rise up in victory. Not a people that flirt with all of the gauzes that are around us, but a people that take comfort in our walk in our relationship with God. And when we do, God can use us and God is honored and God is glorified and the work of God is done. People will be saved. People will be encouraged. Prayer will be answered. Uh, families will grow stronger. Relationships will uh, get better. And our desire and our freedom from the sin that has bound us will be liberating in our Christian life. If we'll let it. If you let them leave, expect to be blinded.
if you let him leave, expect for him to stay gone a while. If you let him leave, realize that slavery's coming, bondage is coming, and you won't be able to just one day decide, hey, I want to be over this. It requires the presence and the power of God.